And good morning. This is Pomo Perspective. I'm your engineer, Alicia Bales, in the studio with your host, Michael Hunter. Hey, Michael. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be back. So what do we have lined up today? Well, I think we're going to play that speech from the rally we had in Fort Bragg. Um, maybe you could tee that up, and then I'll follow up with... I wanted to ask listeners if they're listening to think about what I said and and uh, a response I got. But if you would tee it up first, and then I'll explain my perspective that I had that day. Sure. So this is a speech at a rally for Jackson Demonstration State Forest uh, around the a logging plan there in Casper. And this speech was April 25th, 2021. Yeah, this... Uh, I'm asking the listeners to help me understand the audience better. As a uh, Native American tribal chairman, my audience usually is Native Americans, and I rarely speak at rallies. It's just really not my vibe for the most part. My mother does that on behalf of our tribe. But after that speech, this young man, early 20s, came up to me, what really genuine, and he asked me, why, why are the people around me saying that your speech has nothing to do with why we are there? And my response in my mind, my immediate response in my mind was, I can't really say it on air because I really don't care what they think. But that wasn't true, to be honest. And the way he asked me was so genuine that I wanted to give him a really good answer, and I didn't have the answer to give him because I wanted him to go back and tell that group. These were good people there and people I wanted to connect to. And I couldn't come up with the words so he could go back and tell that group of people and educate them. So if the listener would pay attention for me, See if there's something out of line that I said. Maybe I'm not communicating it well, but I put a lot of time, energy, and thought into my words. And uh, I'd like to hear what you guys, what your thoughts are. All right. Well, let's hear the speech and see what people think about it. We'll open up the phone lines. Perfect. All right. This is Michael Hunter, Tribal Chairman of the Coyote Band of Pomo Indians, speaking April 25th, 2021, in Fort Bragg, California, at a rally to protect the trees in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Here's Michael. How many have a mom like that, huh? Wow. Uh, take a deep breath, you know. <laughs> I was driving over here, and uh, I was just thinking that the Pomo people must have been very rich. Right? They had the ocean at their fingertips. They had the redwoods. They had all the resources they needed. 
It must have been rich. And uh, I think of the irony. And I just thought, my mom must be the greatest person on earth. Who, who in their right mind helps the people save themselves from themselves after it was taken from her family? Priscilla Hunter does. You got to understand that my mother was raised at Lake Mendocino. Her uncles were Uncle Ira, Campbell Sr., our chief. She was raised with her great-grandmother as her mother. Only to be evicted so your people could have a lake and water for your cities and the things you want to build. Her uncle served in the war. In the, in the war. They were veterans. They came back at an early age after being sent to a boarding school in Riverside to come home and pack their mother up. Angelina Campbell, pack their mother up. Pack my mother up. And move them from the land that they had, the little land that they had left. The veterans had to come back and remove their mother from where she was living, where she was raised, where she was raising her grandchildren, my mother. So they could buy a little piece of property, one cabin. My great-grandfather, Henry Campbell, my great-grandmother, Angelina Campbell, my Aunt Susie, our chief's wife, my Uncle Hiram, my mother, her brother, Tom Ramis, and a few other of her cousins were raised in one cabin. And these men would go to the mill and work. And every night they came home and built a room by room in cinder blocks. Every night, two men. Talk about starting over and starting over and starting over and starting over. And yet we're here today. And it seems like we're starting over. I don't understand, I don't get it, I'm not an activist, I'm just the son of one of the greatest activists to ever be in Pomo country. How did we not read about this woman in my books? Do we have any teachers here? Professors, attorneys, 
Coyote Valley is here to help preserve what you have left, even though we just get to borrow it now. Give it back! Woo! I don't want that back. <laughs> you guys got to fix it. You don't get to give me damaged goods back. So Coyote Valley is here because my mother brought us here. I wasn't humble enough to come and help the people that robbed my people. And I'm not talking in the 1800s. I'm talking in 1957 when Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians were terminated from Lake Mendocino so you guys could have water in this county. Every day I got to fight with the county for my water on less than 100 acres so I could build homes for my people. Every day I got to fight with the power companies to bring power. Every day I got to get approval from this county to build something because they want a piece of what we are building now. Why? It just seems that's what Mendocino County does to Indians, to me. Oh. Oh. I drive around and I look at these forests and I look at all these things they name things after. And uh, the best they could come up with is Pomo. I got a name for you right here. It's called Priscilla Hunter. You see, teachers and professors, you have to teach. You want our help. We need your help. We have to learn your ways. We have to learn how to make money in this world that you guys created. And now we are the poorest of the poorest because we had to restart over and over and over and not in the 1800s, but in 1957. You were here. Where were you then? We could all be righteous if we want. Because we are doing a righteous thing. But when I went back to college, when I was 40, they taught the same stuff that they were teaching me in high school in 1992. So I ask you teachers, don't stop learning. There's a web website that I developed because I was upset that my Native American teacher studies didn't even know what tribes were in her county. Do you guys know what tribes are in your county? How many? If you don't learn, it's called visitcaliforniatribes.com. I did it. Learn it. Help us. Help us write our history because we're a part of it. When you think of us, think about what you can do to help rewrite your history towards us. I ask you, I'm not mad. I'm not the angry Indian, but I'm sad. 
I ask you teachers to write books about Priscilla Hunter. I ask teachers to write books about all the Native American Pomos in this county and flood your libraries with those books because your people need to know that we were the richest of this land. My people need reminding of this. You guys are our teachers. You are attorneys in the courts. My people need have been beat down so bad that we become the poorest in this county. Coyote Valley is here for these trees. We're here for you because of this humble woman behind me. And we'll fight the good fight. But I ask you, help teach your people. Tell them who the great people were of, of, this, of this ground here. Tell them who we were. So when my students, when my cousins are growing up, my grandchildren are growing up through your system and your schools, they hear great things about my people. If they knew how great this woman was, we wouldn't be wondering who our heroes were. I don't need to find heroes. I was raised by a hero. So if there's one thing to leave today, we are here for you. You are here for us. We have the same common ground. It's been a long time since we have some of the same common ground, but we do. Now here's our bridge. You're here, we're here, you put us up here and allowed us to speak in front of you and we appreciate you for that. And when I say you guys are they or them, I don't mean you, you are the good people here fighting for this. You know that. But we must do better even amongst ourselves. Because my community depends on you guys. We are only 3% of this population. My community depends on your teachings, your attorneys to make sure you're teaching, teaching the Indian Child Welfare Act. The judges, I need you. You gotta be our soldiers. I appreciate you and thank you and I love you. All right, that this is Pomo Perspectives. That was a speech by Michael Hunter, who is the host here in the studio with me right now. I'm Alicia Bales on the board. That speech was at a rally for Jackson Demonstration State Forest in Fort Bragg on April 25th, 2021. And Michael, why did you want to play that speech today? Well, it's I've, I've really been struggling with that young man asking me that question. He was so baffled. And in my world, there's people on the left, people on the right, or people in the front, people in the back, wherever they stand, it's usually facing each other. And now I've been putting myself out there because I want to figure out how to relate to the non-Native American community. I want to figure out how to be a part of this community. But I also want to figure out how to share my tribe story, my story, and I think it's relevant. And when that young man asked me why these people don't think my speech was relevant, I would like to know why. Like, what, what makes that speech not relevant to the forest? What makes that speech not relevant to the platform? The way I view things is if I go to speak somewhere, 
I want to share my tribe's story, my people's story, so we could grow together. And if I'm amongst more than environmentalists, the naturalists, the people, uh, my type of crowd, my mother's style of people, I felt like that was a good platform. And when I was standing there, I looked at a lot of blank faces. And I didn't really know what the blank faces meant until he asked me that question. And then over the couple months, it's really, um, I, I put a lot of thought into it lately. And I was driving with my father and Stephanie. We were heading over to have lunch for Father's Day. And I asked, I proposed the same question to them as I am to the listeners. And Stephanie said, Maybe it's so out of context. Maybe your conversation is so out of context that people did not understand why for a second you were even talking about those words. And that was the first time. I didn't understand her, to be honest with you. My dad explained it to me. And I, my, dad's, my dad's white. And so I wanted to propose that question to him. And he didn't have an answer until he heard Stephanie. And then he t says, and he explained a little bit better. She explained it more. And it finally sunk in. And I said, wow, are you saying that my speech is so out of context, even though it relates to the forest, the land, the water, archaeological sites? And they said, yeah, it could be for many of the people in the, in the crowd. And then I really thought, all night, well, then what is my platform? Where do I get to share that story if I can't share it amongst people that share similar stories? I'd like to know what the listeners think about that. I'm, I want to learn a new perspective. I don't really need to hear anybody tell me why I shouldn't care. I already have that one. You know, It's more, uh, I'd like to hear an intellectual response so I could have really given that young man the, the words so he could have continued to share those words and educate that group so they'd have a better understanding, not be turned off. So after you spoke at this rally, this young man approached you. What was his question? He, was, he said, these people standing behind me basically said, why is he talking about this? It's not relevant. Almost as if I was the angry Indian. And I put a lot of thought into that speech. Uh, it took me years to figure out how to tell that story at the right time. And I waited for that right time, and I thought it was that right time, and I felt good. And only a couple minutes afterwards, everything I thought came true. And the young man that looked at me, he was just so genuine and just really did not understand. And he was so baffled, and I was baffled. And I'm, you know, I'm probably 25 years older than him, and I still didn't have an answer to that. But it's my first time out there. Mm -hmm. It was my first time faced with that. I never had anybody legitimately want to know why people felt as if Native American issues were not relevant to that platform. Mm -hmm. It was different. What are your thoughts? Well, I when you told me about what Stephanie said about the context, about people not having context for your story, I thought a couple of things. One, I thought, well, that's part of what when colonizers come in and erase or try to erase the history of the people who were here before that would permanently create 
a problem with people understanding the relevance of, you know, understanding that these stories are living stories, that they're part of the land where we live. But the other thing I thought was, does that make sense that, that the stories of the people who lived in the forest for thousands and thousands of years before colonizers came in, to me, there's no separation between those, that history and that experience and the forest itself. Like, maybe a shorthand way of saying it would be they're part of the forest ecosystem. They're part of the forest that we're concerned about protecting, right? There's no difference there. I see the disconnect there because when you look at reservations today, it doesn't resemble what, what we, what we both know they did at one time. So I see the disconnect there and I understand that one. That's why I try to, make use Coyote Valley as the relevancy because they were terminated in 1957, right? For water. Lake Mendocino exists. Coyote Valley exists 20 years later because we fought the state of California and the Corps of Engineers, Mendocino County and Sonoma County. So in my mind, as I'm laying out that, uh, that piece of the speech, I w I'm trying to tie it into the relevancy of time because nobody wants to go back 200 years seems like but I'm not even going back a hundred years right we were I was raised with my great-grandmother that had to move so I don't know I, I'm curious yeah okay um eight nine five two four four eight if you want to join this conversation we have our first caller good morning caller you're live on the air hello caller you're live on the air Hi, yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up because it's something that I've been concerned about also, which is the difference in style between the Europeans and the indigenous people. And there's no reason why there can't be a mutual understanding, but I don't think there is yet. And one of the things that you hear a lot is uh, what happened to Michael is that one person is speaking holistically in analogies and looting the forest is the same thing that he was talking about. But Anglos don't always get that. And the other thing that I notice is that there's a time frame that's real different. Anglos decide, okay, you're supposed to talk from 10.05 to 10.14 and then stop. <laughs> and uh, an indigenous person will talk as long as they have something to say and then stop. So that's another kind of a conflict. But uh, I think that Michael's doing the right thing. There's no reason why the Euro-trained people can't learn to understand that there's other ways to do it that are legit legitimate and you can get so much out of them, and then that's fine. And also I think that I did hear a lot of cheers in the audience, too, so he saw some serious faces and heard a criticism, but I think it was probably also well-received. Yeah, I felt I had a good vibe about it, for sure. But all my fears that I had came true from that one question and then you don't un then you wonder how many people were really saying that how many people are just not coming up and asking me and it took you know there's very few brown people there it took one of the brown persons to come up and ask me that question and uh i wonder how i wonder if uh, was there really relevancy outside the people that were cheering yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't um, offended. I wasn't hurt. It was, you know, it's ignorance is expected. I go in. That's that's always, no matter what forum we're in, ignorance is there, right? And that's why we educate each other, so we can be smart and not stupid, right? 
And I don't think anybody there was stupid by any means. It was just, uh, it was fun. I had a great time. It was, uh, I've been wanting to do that for a long time. I've been doing this with you, Alicia, for a while to try to understand how to tell my story, my tribe story. So I had a great time. I enjoyed it. I met some new friends, um, a new group of people that I'd like to get to know better. But that one question, and I wonder, you know, if it's only 30%, how do I relate to that 30% then? It might be higher. It might be lower. I don't know. And I know the, that one boy, uh, one young man was, he was baffled and I couldn't give him an answer. Well, it must be weird to come from your life experience and then have somebody maybe not directly question it, but, you know, to, to not get it, to not get why that matters. I mean, it would be hard for anyone to be asked why your life experience matters to anything, why it's relevant. But with the history and with the, the not so recent history and the recent history of your tribe of co- of course you know why it matters of course it's everything to you and to have somebody come up and and be like well i don't know why does that matter that that wouldn't that would be hard for anyone i think and, and to say it loud enough around brown people that are clapping like what where did you get that kind of confidence you right and so i'm like ignorance is you know it's it's real um but to say it, it was was a little bit. I'd like to have a great answer. I want to be. Able, I wanted him to be able to go back and say some clever words to trigger something in their mind to go. Mm. Oh wow! I just had an eye-opening experience. I just did some self-reflection. I wanted to figure out how to take that opportunity because I know how to. I already know how to uh, not take it personal. You know, we're 3% of the population. Anywhere I go, for the most part, outside Indian community, um, there's, nobody knows who we are, for the most part. You know, we're not, we're not relevant to their issues, and I have to push our issues and things like that. So I already know that part of the world. It's more that group that's just good people that I want to be able to relate to that aren't relating. I wanted to figure out how do I connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, give the listeners the phone line, the phone number again. It's 707-895-2448. If you want to join in this conversation and share your thoughts, uh, 895-2448. You know, we could carry this conversation on to what is Coyote, what, what, why does Coyote Valley feel the need to play a role in these forests? I've been, I know you wanted to talk to me about it. My mother and Polly came on. Um, and I just wasn't prepared. I had a lot of work I needed to do that I was working on. And I told myself I'd get to it in June. And we're in June. And I still wasn't prepared today. But I know I was, I'm prepared to start the conversation. I don't know where Coyote Valley, um, I don't know where we will end up in this conversation, in this issue. I don't know. I know that Coyote Valley is very interested and have always been interested in our archaeological sites, our sacred sites, and protecting them. They're registered. They're federally registered. We're not asking 
anyone to protect something that's not already been agreed upon between the tribes, the state, and the federal government to say, let's protect these, just like we do the forest. You're supposed to protect these. That's where Coyote Valley is. I have a friend that uh, I don't know if he disagrees with me, but I know he believes that logging is being done responsibly. I don't know that. What I do know are the sites that I've seen, they're, they're, they're not being those specific sites. Now, there's thousands and thousands of acres, but this, these few acres that I got to see, those are not being logged responsibly. Now, they be, might be being logged legally, but legally and responsibly might be two different things, right? And I don't know the legislation enough to know the difference, but my eyes tell me that you cannot cut down a lot of trees and have a lot of the smaller growth and whatever trees you didn't want to take out be laying there and over years dry up and think that's not a fire hazard. That's got to be a fire hazard. My eyes tell me that. So to me, it doesn't matter what the legislation says. It might be being done legally, but there are many things that are done legally that aren't, that doesn't make them correct. It just means someone like you and I sat there and got a group of people together and wrote some legislation and said, this is legal. It's all perspective. It's all opinion. Now I switch gears and I say, okay, maybe the law is written responsibly and maybe Cal fire doesn't have the budget to help manage it or to, uh, verify that is be is being that the cutting is being done according to the legislation they wrote and if it's not funding if it is about funding not having that and the and the law is written correctly then then you have to stop cutting until you could put a staff together to make sure that the cutting is being cut according to the law the responsible law those are the two things we have to figure out how to separate. I don't know what the answer is on those. All right. We have another caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi there. Um, I guess I'll try to address this issue. First of all, thank you, Mike, for uh, for getting up there and speaking your truth. Um, as far as being an Anglo in this county, which... Uh, I kind of came here as a, a spiritual refugee in a way from the culture that, ironically, the same culture that tried its best to extinguish your culture. And uh, even from a young age, um, I'm 45 now, but even from a young age, I was so terrified by the small bits of truth that were coming into the environmental issues that were, you know, not really an, not really a mainstream issue. I think that for a lot of us that. Uh, we're fighting, you know, there's a lot of Anglos who spiritually are on the same level as indigenous people, and actually we're indigenous people somewhere else and, and got conquered by other cultures and then found themselves kind of adrift in modern society. Uh, I think the disconnect, uh, a lot of it is that we, there's a huge amount of people in the world who are good-hearted and connected to the land and have been overrun and are so displaced, like I know that sounds um, watered down, but I I look at the, the Anglo culture that I was a part of, even my parents, and trying to understand why the value system 
wasn't with the environment. And this this issue broke my heart so badly that, in a way, I spent most of my adult life adrift trying to figure out how to battle it. When I came to Mendocino County, there was the remnants of the Back to the Land movement, and um, a lot of those people seem to be uh, have been have been crushed by the mainstream culture. They tried. They got out there. They demonstrated. They tried to. They tried. Uh, you know, they, they put their finances. They they raised their children with this idea, even though they were on somebody else's land. Um, and I I think what you're facing is hundreds of years of people, good people who have a natural disposition to be connected to the land who have been systematically throughout the world, throughout history, overrun, like looking at, histor- looking at things historically. There's a lot of good people over the world that were indigenous to somewhere that got run out by the Romans, or they got run out by England, or they got run out. So we're, I mean, I guess, <laughs> it's like, I, I, as an angler, it seems bizarre to say, like I'm also an, a, a displaced indigenous person, at least spiritually. And even that has a weird... You know, it's like I should be. I, I I I guess what I'm getting at is that we fought these battles. Everybody that's been that seemed inclined to fight these kinds of battles, and they have been beat back because the nature of the world is domination. So, if you're a good person, your 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 value system is with the land. There's a good chance that you will be crushed, if not financially and infrastructurally, then spiritually, and then you'll still have to try and figure out how to survive in that world. Um, as far as like Cal Fire. The logging, the fishing, um, you know, I've, I've come to this battle late, and I think some of the people that you've looked at are probably just so displaced, disconnected in their hearts and their spirit that they don't really have a way to fathom um, your message. It seems like a very clear message to me. I, I totally understood your speech. Um, it breaks my heart in a way uh, to hear your story. And I uh, spent some time um, working in conservation, trying to do these things, and I thought, well, the whole world would be behind these efforts. But no, this is like begging for money to do what seems obvious to me and to the people around me. But we're like, we're like nothing in the context. Like the world moves on and pushes everybody to, you know, nobody's looking, nobody's valued this value system, even as an angler trying to live simply, trying to live in harmony. Well, where am I going to go to do that? Where am I going to go to do that and not lose my sanity or my spirit? Um, these financial issues that people struggle with in poverty, uh, looking at history, the historical context, looking at the lost battles around the world where people have tried to do the same thing, like Michael's doing the same thing that people, indigenous people around the world are trying to do. And unfortunately, the people with guns and the people with um, power of test power. They don't have that value system. They don't look at the forest the same way. They don't. They don't see it as a part of their heart. They don't see it as a part of their body. I do. And this is in my land, but I still do. Um, this this county saved my my spirit in some ways. But I feel like I'm sharing a a, ref, a spiritual refugee camp with the Pomo. And I think a lot of the elders that uh, from the back of the land movement that tried to fight the establishment um, at this point are fairly defeated. So you're looking at the eyes of uh, people that don't really know what else to do. It seems like it's obvious to do. The value system seems obvious. You know, it seems like to people like us, it seems like you do the right thing. You protect the, you protect nature. But um, 
where's the infrastructure of a nation behind that? You know, we're so I, trying to cover a lot of bases here and trying to um, validate Michael. Not that he needs it, but I just, you know, as a as a white person, hearing hearing what he had to say and trying to acknowledge maybe a little bit psychologically dissect the um, the blank stares. And I think some of the blank stares is people that have been so long disconnected and also people who have fought the good fight have been so crushed that they're they're a little bit lost as to maybe they wanted to be included on the same side and they felt like they were dissected from your story. But um, I think there's just a lot of layers to this to this game. And uh, that's just that's just my that's just me pulling off on the side of the road trying to honor uh, what he said and maybe try to try to give some insight into like where we're where we're all at at this point. So thank you. Interesting, interesting. Mixed bag, very interesting. I was. Well, that's 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 an interesting uh, conversation. I remember in when I was in high school. I think it was my sophomore year. The uh, there's a lot of clear cutting happening, and uh, the corporations were in town and big mills. You know, Mason, I all those big ones, and uh, I remember a conversation happening between um, a friend and the rest of the classroom, and I think it was one of our teachers, he says, what do you think about these, these the logging issues we're having? And we're in math, but he wanted to talk about it, and I thought that was pretty cool. And the lady says, I think you have to do it responsibly. You can't just cut everything. And I will tell you this, 90%, it sure appeared, was like, do you, is your house made up from table from wood? How about your tables? How about, and I was just like, dang, I ain't saying anything. This ain't my battle. She just got beat up amongst her own friends. And that's how bad it was back then. And then when I was in JC, so about four years, five years later, I don't know, 95, 96 or something, I don't recall, they, uh, the, the, the logging companies moved out. And then all the people, the loggers that worked so hard their whole lives, were jobless, were on unemployment. And it was the first time everybody said, this is what we tried to say. We're not saying don't log. We're saying log responsibly. And you could do this forever. But now, I don't know if that's still an option anymore. When my mother talks, her belief is the loggers, no matter what, whether it's corporation, um, individuals, locals, had your chance. You didn't do it correctly. So therefore, she's taking a hard line, a hard stance, and to do what she has to do to protect those trees. I don't know if there's still an opportunity to do responsible logging anymore. I do not know. I'm not a, that's, that's not my expertise. But you will hear both sides claim total opposite opinions. And then you have the tribes, you have Coyote Valley saying, yes, but let's, uh, at the very minimum, agree both sides that we must protect these sacred sites because there's no point in negotiating these these uh, this legislation to protect sacred sites with the state and the federal government if if Cal Fire or if 
locals are not going to uh, protect them. And we're not even saying protect them, stand around them, make sure nothing happens. We're just saying don't damage them, right? Um, I should probably start using that word. Like if we, if we can't agree that we cannot damage them, then there's no relationship to be had as far as Indian countries are concerned related to these forests. So it's somewhat different for us. Uh, we stand probably more objectively because we believe our cause is uh, should be everybody's cause, and I don't think anybody could argue that. But we're only 3% of the population. We, we were uh, institutionalized. We're put on reservations. We were taught not to be environmentalists. We were taught not to be in our oceans, not to be in our forests. Actually, they took us out of the, prime, the, the premium lands and, and said, not only are we going to put you away from, uh, from all the, the things that you lived, lived on, lived upon, swam in, and enjoyed, we're going to say, here's your boundaries and stay there. And we're going to say we're going to you stay there because we're not going to allow busing to pick your children up unless you're the first one to be picked up at 5:45 a.m. in the morning on my reservation. That was our busing route. And as a kid, I would have to walk to school very long, but I didn't mind. And uh, you start analyzing those bus routes. You're like, no, no, man. You could pick me up on the way, on the way back from Ukiah. What's going on? You know, things like that. And you see the obvious, but you don't know, and you learn to just expect um, those low expectations from your surrounding community, and you become institutionalized. And then um, it's hard to take care of your own backyard because this is the way we were taught. This is the way it was drilled into our minds. And that's what I see in our communities around here. I see good people feeding their families, working hard, working very hard, competing for so little. I don't understand that part. Like, how, how are we competing for so little when you had so much? You, you, you know, the local loggers had you know, a lot of acreage and we we were everybody was rich here. We allowed the corporations to come in and do it for profit, not not sustainability, not to make sure your family gets fed well and you can still buy more land and build more homes and build your family. That wasn't the reason anymore. And it's proven. You go look at Masonite. Just go look. And it, nobody wants to buy that land because it's so the soil's so bad. I mean, the soil is bad. And if you go out to Calpella, you see the that little mill out there. It's beyond its own emissions that we all agreed to. And <clears throat> we come up with many reasons why and this and that. And, and if you look at the language and legislation or if you look at the uh, policies and procedures at the Board of Supervisors level and et cetera, et cetera, um, it's somehow okay. And I just sit there and say, no, you made an agreement. Stick to it. The goal is to regulate and make sure we stick to what we agree to, not to change regulation so it can make more money. It's called sustainability. We don't, you don't go above and beyond and just continue to rape and pillage this earth and think that you're going to find compromise. And that's where I worry. That's where I worry the most. I, I understand where my mom's coming from. She makes the most sense when she puts her words to me. And, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if her solution is reality. 
you know, I don't know. I like to think that uh, COVID had a purpose. And maybe that purpose was getting more people outdoors, enjoying the forest, enjoying the oceans. And uh, maybe we'll get more participation from the government. I don't know that to be true. I honestly don't know that to be true. I, I think the people sitting uh, that write legislation are sitting in offices, are sitting in buildings. And when you sit in a building all your life, you, you close yourself out to what's going on in the outdoors. And I don't think that, our, that uh, we have bad representatives by any means. I think they're good people, but they're not people that are outdoors. And if you're not out there to see it for your own self, you have no clue what people are saying on both sides, both sides. What do you think? I'm curious about your response to the caller who talked about Anglos being indigenous to somewhere. Have, do you hear that? Is that something people bring up to you or do people come to you with with that? Do, do Anglos come to you with that kind of perspective? I, I met some really good people at that rally. And I, and I say naturalist. I don't know. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And I would say they are living more how Native Americans lived than possibly, possibly more than 50% of the Native Americans themselves living. Um, like I've said, we've, we've had the Russian, Coyote Valley had the Russian River. We had the forest, you know, we had all that. And then when you don't have nothing, then uh, generations that grow and learn um, don't don't learn how to utilize those or don't even learn that vibe. They don't even know what that vibe is, the feeling of that. So I, I think um, I agree with them. I agree. With them. I might get in trouble with my home fund on that. I really might. Um, but there's some, there's some, there's a lot of people out there living the way we used to live, and they get it and they admire our admire the way we live, or or at least the perception they have of the way we did live. Right. That's honorable. That's honorable because uh, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to, you know, recycle better, use less water, be more aware, less bottled water. But I drive a truck, a diesel truck, and I pull a fifth wheel. It's a little bit uh, different. I live in a different world, but I'm learning. I'm ignorant, just like everybody else. It took me a while to realize how ignorant I was. And uh, once I started traveling with the fifth wheel and getting out there and really seeing um wow i realized how ignorant i was and still am but it's fun once you realize it because now it just opens up these boxes to learn versus being um conflicted i don't i don't know if i'm conflicted anymore now that i'm becoming more familiar with my surroundings i'm, I'm starting to be able to learn and i think what happens when I see these rallies, I see you know local loggers conflicted, and then I see uh, environmentalists conflicted. Now, when I think of environmentalists, I'm like, yeah, but they're conflicted on saving the trees. I think that's the team I'm on, right? But at the same time, I really admire people that work really hard, that get up early, use their back, use their hands, use their muscles. So it's kind of hard to say, no, no, you're wrong. 
I think the answer is the community come together and really fill, fill, create new legislation probably, create new over, oversight. And people think of legislation as a, uh, as a, uh, some people think of it as a tool. I think of it as a tool. But many people think they're scared of it because they don't understand it. They're ignorant of it. And they, th they think it's a slippery slope. And it's like, nah, I don't know about that slippery slope. If you can't evolve and make better policy as you go forward, that's the slippery slope. And I don't think people take enough time, energy, and put thought and concentration into an issue that they that they truly believe in enough. And if they did, they would realize that both parties are saying the same thing. They really are. And I don't I don't I don't understand why they're uh, so upset. It's weird. It's really weird. You were, oh, let's just reintroduce the show real quick so people sure. know what this is. It's Pomo Perspective uh, with your host, Michael Hunter, who's the tribal chairman of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians, among other leadership positions that you hold locally. Uh, and I'm Alicia Bales. I'm here engineering and supporting. Um, you were involved in the government-to-government -government negotiation or consultation, rather, with the state of California around Jackson State? With CAL FIRE? Yeah. My mother takes the lead on those and I take the back seat. Um purposefully. She's they're they're pretty knowledgeable and it's their passion. Uh I I bring a, a different perspective to the game and that perspective probably is the legislative perspective. I've learned how to amend law, write new policy. I've learned that. I learned what's happening over there and how to do it. I learned the processes of it. And what I've realized is it's all about who's sitting at that table typing. As long as you get the right people that are typing that and everybody's representative and everybody looks at a screen and says, yes, that's what we all agree on, you'll be fine. You really will be fine. But the power grabs of seeing who's going to sit at that table. And if you don't do what they say when they're at that table, it's those kind of things that that hurt the, the dialogue, that hurt resolution. And it happens everywhere. I'm, I've learned this because I, I do this as the chairman. I've learned this the hard way. I've learned that if I don't get the right people in the right room, that no matter my vision, it will not move forward because I need everybody to believe in it. I mean... I just got to there a couple years ago before I pulled, pulled, get on my back, grab on. I'm pulling. I'm going with or without me. I'm going. And now that my vision has <clears throat> expanded and broadened um, beyond my reservation boundaries, I uh, realize I need more warriors. I need my people behind me. I need them to understand what our vision is. I need them to believe in it. I need them to know it. And so... When I'm done, it's a legacy because the next chairman did it, the next chairperson did it, and our younger generation grows to do it. But there's not that many people at the table. And I'll tell you this, it's not the, the wrong people are at the table. And when I say wrong, I don't mean the people at the table are wrong. I just mean wrong in the fact that you don't have enough parties at that table. 
and then there's not not enough typing happening amongst that table so people are just talking minutes are taken and then it's whoever really is at that table when everybody leaves is a policy that's being written and passed that's the fear that's the fear you have to agree on the policy before it leaves that room at least for that day and then continue to talk another day until you come to some sort of resolution how do people get to the table in your experience i mean uh, we know that i mean i guess i would assume that it would be the people with the most money and power who get a seat Coyote Valley is different. We have a tribal consultation process because we're our own government, government to government relations. And probably that's might be the one of the main reasons that we are being asked to be at this table, to be honest. If we didn't have that leverage, I'm not sure we would really have a voice at that table. We would be there, you know, and, and people would say what Indians are on their side and things like that. But in reality, we wouldn't be leading it. In this case, we're leading it in, in our perspective because we have uh, a right to have a government-to-government dialogue, tribal consultation process. And uh, Jerry Brown put a policy in place that says you must. They must adhere to it. Now, keep in mind, I've I've done this on another issue, and the directors never got back to me until I go to a until I go to my good friend Assemblyman James Ramos, the first na- California Native American, and say, "Hey, I need this director to take me serious." And then that's how things get done. So you just got to continue connecting dots and figuring out who who's who. Um, I, I think you you got to find that that environmentalist uh, legislative person. Who is that? Who is the one that just loves this issue? You know, who is that? Find that person. Find as many as you can over there. Bring that group and show them what's being done. Because it's not about what's written on that paper right now. It's about saying, yeah, that's a fire hazard. That's not fire prevention. And once we can all agree on that, then we can define what this language is. But we don't have anybody out there. If you, a lot of these representatives are out of shape. To be honest, like they're out of shape. You know, that means they're not getting out on your oceans. That means they're not out in the field. That means they're not out in the forest. They're, they're guys with ties that drink coffee every morning and, you know, eat steaks at night, you know. And uh, if you don't have like-minded people pushing this battle for you, then you're going to lose because money is the like-minded in this state. Money, 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 right? And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's the primary pusher. So you have to find somebody that aligns with your beliefs and where the people that vote for that person are not going to pull them back because they believe in it. They're there for that one. Unfortunately, that might not be this county. I don't know. And sometimes it can't be because you get elected amongst your own people. And if the majority, like the gentleman said earlier, um, if, if everybody else gets crushed, how, I mean, how do you win elections if, if majority of the people don't want your forest safe? Well, we've got about two minutes left before the end of the show. So I wonder if we want to circle back to the original question and um, just briefly reflect on, did you get any answers on it or how do you want to leave this for people to consider uh, after the show's over? Well, I am more confused than ever. (laughs) No, just teasing. Uh, you know, the responses are the ones you think would happen because we're like-minded people. So I understand, and I understand exactly where others are coming from. I get it. Uh, I wanted to understand the ones that I didn't understand, the ones that don't have the like-minded. Mm, those are the ones, because that's the ones I want to tap into. And I think 
a majority of the people are the ones that uh, really don't have the time and energy to focus on one specific issue. And if that's the case, I got to figure out how to get them in tune to my issue, even though it's not theirs. And that was my goal. Not succeeding. I'm not succeeding. But, you know, I'm here and I feel good telling my story. I'm learning how to tell it, learning how to put it in uh, context with with the relevant issues of this county. It's hard. It's uh, really hard to learn how to tell emotional story. Um, most people do it in front of psychiatrists or, you know, counselors and stuff. And I'm trying to do it live. And uh, my tribe story is uh, it's a tough one. It's a battle. It's a challenge. It still is. My story is. I grew up there. Um, if people knew my story, they, 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 they wouldn't even understand how I could be here today telling it. And so I understand why people do not understand me. Well, I am really grateful that you come here every month and try. Me too. To make the effort to do it. It's, uh, it's um, healing. really is. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.